Praise God. Now, last week I shared with you, we ran out of time a little bit, but I played you Randy's clip about the apostolic nature of this church. And then I was a bit hesitant to share those scriptures with you, but they were Jeremiah 47, uh, 6 to 7. I just want to read them one more time, just as a segue from last week into this week. Jeremiah 47. I did it for a reason. I don't normally talk about these things, but I did it for a reason. Well, first of all, the Lord told me to do it, but there's a reason behind it. Uh, and I hope I explained that clearly enough last week. So I want to just clarify, O thou sword of the Lord, how long will it be ere thou be quiet? Put up thyself and thy scabbard, rest and be still. So that's that pressure to not, to not be bold and to not preach and to not cry aloud. The pressure of words, of people, of society, of governments, of the devil. How can it be quiet seeing the Lord has given it a charge or an assignment against Ashkelon and against the seashore? There he has appointed it because there's an assignment on my life. God, this is the first major word God ever gave me uh, since I was called at 16 and onward. Uh, in my early teenage years, he gave me this word after he called me. And he said, there's an assignment. I didn't know what it meant, but I know more what it means now over the years. There's an assignment against Ashkelon. That's where the giants lived. Yeah. There is an assignment. That's where that spirit of faith comes from. That's where that David parallel comes from. And Ashkelon was a place of weighing of scales. It was a commerce busy. And then the seashore represents in the Hebrew a place of a quiet cove. So to the busy places and to the not busy places, to the cities and to the, and, and to the country, to the highways and to the byways, there, there is an assignment to go. So in other words, some pastors, they only have a call to where they're called. They only have a call to that place. If they're a country preacher, that's where they're called. If they're a city preacher, that's where they're called. But I have a dual because it's not just the pastoral anointing. And there's an aggression. There's a sword terminology, a war kind of terminology. So sometimes you may sense that coming out in the aggression of the vision and of the sermons, but understand this is part of my DNA. Now the next one, chapter 48 and verse 10, uh, if I could also read that to you, uh, which is what I shared last week, the second major word he gave me, cursed be them, cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully or half-heartedly, and cursed be he that keepeth the sword back from blood, meaning God doesn't want me to do this half-hearted or with a, with a, well, whatever, if I have time or I'll give it a shot or let's see if it works. God is, that's, that's doing the work of the Lord deceitfully. In other words, there's an all-in capacity that God wants me to have. And he said that to me from the beginning. I'm looking for all-in. I'm looking for 100% of your heart. I'm looking for all your energy, all your skills, everything. This can't be, if, if you do it half-heartedly, I'm going to consider it that you did it deceitfully. You do it with all your heart. And there's, a, there's that kind of, I don't mean to be vulgar, but that kind of blood reference. In other words, there's, a, there's an assignment for war, and I don't want you to hold back. In other words, there's an assignment to go out and to win souls and, and at times provoke people like Elijah provoked the ungodly king. There's an, a time, at times assignments to provoke, to destroy giants, to decapitate them spiritually, to go into dark areas and pierce. Now, if you just sit back and do your little pastoring thing, you held back your sword from blood. But I need you to get that sword wet with blood. I want you to go into the hard places, into the violent places, because that's the assignment. So sometimes you'll see that come out. That's because it's part of the DNA. Praise God. I'm just reminding you because I hope I said it well enough last week. 1 Samuel 14, 4 to 5, because I've got other stuff to share with you today. 1 Samuel 14, 4 to 5. 
And again, these are private words and, and special words to me, so I don't talk about them very often. But the Lord said to me last week, uh, my wife said, you be bold today. I thought, be bold. There's not, nothing I'm preaching needs to be bold about. I'm just sharing. But then when she walked out five minutes, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to share the four scriptures about you personally. I said, I don't want to do that. That's none of their business. That's my business. And they could mock that and they could, they could treat that like swine stepping pearls under feet. I said, he said, I want you to share it as part of the core of the vision because a lot of what comes out comes out of this this place of you and if they don't understand that it's in you they'll kind of question why you act the way you do at times so I did by faith without trying to be narcissistic or patting myself up or whatever I'm not trying to do that I'm just trying to share with you my identity what God has stamped on me because it's going to affect the vision what he stamped on me which is going to affect you <laughs> praise God he didn't stamp it on you he stamped it on me but what stamped on me trickles down to you to some measure between the passages, 1 Samuel 14, 4, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines, guess that he's going to war. You see, you see that war theme. And there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other, and the name of one was Boses, the name of the other was Sina. And the forefront of the one was situate northward against Michmash, and the other southward against Gebeah. And so years ago, the Lord had said, there'll be two branches of ministry in your life. One is to the north and one is to the south. One is to Canada, the north, and one is to Africa, the south. And the north, the word bozes means white, shining like snow. And he said, that's the north, snow. He said, I don't like it, Greg. So that's why he says it to me, because I understand it. And the, the, the other word means acacia tree or thorn. And he said, and the acacia trees are in Africa. And he said, now that's the Africa. He said, there's a, there's a call to this side and there's a call to this side. And both will be important, but your home base will be to the north. Because I wanted my home base to be to the south. No, I did. When we came here, my sister and I hated Canada. We hate everything about Canada. We hate the weather, hate the culture, hate the food. There's no animals. There's nothing dangerous that can kill you. I'm not used to having nothing that can kill you. There's no, just every, there's no ocean. At least not, not the way I had an ocean. There's just nothing that I like. And so my sister lives there, went back there, raised her children there, married there. That's where her life is. And I always wanted to do that. I wanted to follow her and go back there. That's what I wanted. And God said, no, your home base is in Canada. That was a greater sacrifice than most people will ever know because I didn't want to live here. But God said, you will live here. That's why I brought your mother here because I have a call for you in this place. This is long before we knew Dr. Dufresne or anything like that. So I knew that there was a call to the north, but that there would be something to the south. But then he said, you have to die to that. If you don't die to that, I can't resurrect it for you. You got too much desire for Africa. You need it to, to die. And that's the corner. We die. It abides alone. If it dies, it bears, brings forth much fruit. So I died to it for years. And then in 2014, the Lord said, you're going back. And I was so dead to it, Greg. I said, what, to do my brother-in-law's funeral? Because he's much older than my sister. I said, why else would I go back to Africa? He said, because I've called you there. Don't you, don't you remember the southern stone? The southern stone is, to, is, is the one pointing to Gebeah. Sina, praise God. And, and it took four years for us to meet Pastor Matthew in 18. In 14, he started praying. Didn't even know each other. That his wife would get the revelation because she didn't want to go back to Africa. So he spent four years praying and I spent four years praying. We didn't even know each other. And then, of course, in 18, we meet and the vision for Africa starts to come. But then in, since the fast, the Lord has given me more clarity and said it's not just to the south of Africa, meaning Africa. It's to the, it's to the world. There's a north and there's a south, but it's not just Africa. It represents the world. Yes. And so I, I didn't know that. 
I thought it was just Africa, but it represents the world. That's why he's opening up other things in other countries, because it represents the world. It doesn't just represent South. And I also, what I didn't know until the, since the fast, when I studied it, he said, I just looked at acacia tree, meaning Africa, but he said, look at the actual root word, and the root word means a thorn to prick or to pierce. And it's, and it's, the, it's not the word, but it's connected to the root word of my name in Hebrew. And he said, now, I'm not saying that for, he said, but I, I had your mother name you that. And he said, because that is part of your DNA. That's part of your identity that I've stamped on you. That's why I'm only saying it. It's not because the name is important. It's, it represents an identifying. That's, um, and it's an identifying mark. That's all I'm trying to say. And I didn't know that since, until the, since the fast when he revealed that to me, that this thing to go, it's much easier to stay. The older I get, the less I want to go in the natural because unless it's got a Hilton, I'm not interested. I don't want hard floors anymore. I've got soft in my old age. I had a lot more adventure when I was young, but I don't, I don't feel that way anymore in the natural, right? But it's easier to stay in the north, but he's trying to get over to me. He got over to me on the fast, and since I've stamped something in your, there's an identifying mark in you, and it's, and it's to pierce, it's to go. That's not talking about the north, it's talking about the south and the world. And even this, this word, Sina, comes from that, that root word, which is where you get crag. It, it's, a, it's a sharp outcropping rock, and it's to go. It's to go into all the world. It's to go into Africa and the world. God has put that as an identifying mark in me because he doesn't want me to get lazy and stay in the north. Even though in the natural, I probably would rather. But there's something that drives me spiritually. Are you with me? I'm I'm going somewhere, so just be patient with me. Now, Job 39, if you could just look at that, that, that's two verses, uh, three verses now. And the last one is Job 39. And again, I'm only doing this from from an identifying mark perspective, not from any kind of arrogant perspective, okay? Because my name is no more important than your name. Okay, or, or any, that's not the issue is the name. The issue is what it represents as an identifying feature for my future. And my future affects your future if you're part of the church. That's the only reason I'm bringing it up because believe me, I wouldn't unless God told me I had to. Does the eagle mount up, verse 27, at your command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth upon the rock, upon the crag of the rock. That's that root word shen in the Hebrew, which is where that word craig comes from. And the strong place. Notice it's talking about the nest is on a strong place. Now, he gave me this. This is the, uh, the third major word. The, the, you know, the, the, the Bozes word came years later. But he gave me the Jeremiah 47, Jeremiah 48, Job 39, and then the first Samuel 14 in about a 10-year span uh, from the time I was 16 to 26. And, so, and those were the first four major words he gave me about my future. And I didn't really, really know what they meant at the time. But I just knew that God, because he came supernaturally into my room and, 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 and spoke to me on four different occasions. So I knew that these were important words. But since the see, a lot of it wasn't to be revealed, Greg, until the fast, until the mantle came, which is why a lot of this I didn't really fully understand. I knew that this represented, yes, my name and that word, tooth of an elephant. See, the acacia, uh, you know, thorn to pierce or to prick, but it comes from the root word, which is this, which that word crag, it means that it means an out sharp outcropping rock, just like the Bozes and the Sina, but it means to be on the forefront, to be on the cutting edge. To be the, the to be the point of the spear. That's what it means. It means to pierce. It means to pierce darkness. Go into all the world. The word go in, in the Greek means to pierce. Missions is all about piercing darkness. And so this this thing here, so I always knew that this represented my the, the identifying mark on me was to go. 
I always knew that, but since the fast, he showed me something more, Jenny. And, 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 and I didn't say this, but he showed me that, that's, that Bozes, since the fast, he said, it doesn't just mean the snow place, it means the place of glistening glory. Yes. And, and the southern part is the world. Yes. But see, he's talking about the glory center, even in that previous scripture, which I read. But on this one, he said, it's not, I didn't know this part until, until the, since the fast. I knew that there was this this, this forefront and this piercing identifying mark for my future that my name represented, but I didn't fully know, you know, what else it meant. But he showed me since the fast, he said, did you notice it talks about the nest? The nest is in that strong place. And he said, the nest is Promise of Life Church, Mississauga. The nest must be strong. It must be fortified as the launch pad. The eagle sits with her chicks in the nest. And then verse 29, from thence she seeketh the prey and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood and where the slain are, there is she. And the Lord said to me, you didn't see that part before. You just know that it's the, it's the forefront, the piercing, the sharp eye, cropping rock going into all the world. But he said, now I'm showing you something more. Your nest must be strong as a platform that you sit upon and look out in the spirit realm and let me show you this nation is afar off and that nation is afar off and they are prey for you. The souls are to be captured for the kingdom of God. Devils are to be slain that behold them in bondage. Blood is that, you know, symbolically has to flow so that those enemies are slain and the, and the grip they hold these people in darkness. We pierce that darkness and bring them into the kingdom. But I'd never saw that since the fast that the nest must be strong. It's not just that I'm strong. The nest must be strong because it is a launch pad to look into the far off lands. Because that's where I'm called as well as the nest. Notice the ego goes and he comes. He doesn't just stay. He goes and he comes. And that's really what I'm supposed to do. Go and come. Go, take care of the chicks and go. Take care of the chicks and go. Go and go and get prey. Hallelujah. Come back, feed the babies and go and get prey. And notice it says that the young ones or the baby eagles which represent my spiritual sons and daughters, are there with me in the far places. That he takes them because uh, where the slain are, there is she. Now she can bring them back to her nest, but also she's teaching her young ones war. She's teaching her young ones prey finding. She's teaching them. And I saw that. The Lord said, your spiritual sons will go into far places with you. And you'll teach them how to pierce and you'll teach them how to cast out devils and you'll teach them how to preach against witchcraft and you'll teach them how to slay the giants and the enemies of God and how to reap souls, my prey, bring them into the kingdom. They'll be there with you. Now that's all come since the fast. All these years I've known this verse, but I've never seen that part. I'm only saying it because it's an identifying feature and it affects everything that I decide to do in the future, which means it affects you, which is why God wants me to say it to you. Amen. There is an identifying mark to go. Yeah. And this is, Reverend Greg, I was a bit concerned with sharing this today because if people take it wrong, uh, it would not be good. But there is a call on me to go. I'm not leaving you because the eagle goes and comes. But there is a call to go. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Isaiah 43, which was the main chapter that God gave me, and about the call to, for me to go, but to go and come. It's not to go and be gone. 
It's to go and come like an eagle goes and comes. And that's how he showed it to me. Like the eagle goes and comes. The eagle wouldn't be fulfilling its mandate if it just sat in the nest all the time. The eagle must go, but also come back. Go and come back. And there must be a going and a coming back. Some ministers just go and they never come back. That's what God's called them to. They're evangelists or they're prophets. They go and they stay gone. But I'm an apostle. There is a call to go, but there's also, and to plant and establish, but there's also a call to come back to the nest. The nest must be strong. The nest on the rock must be strong. Hallelujah. And so I'm talking to you a little bit this morning in the vision about God's instruction to me during the fast about going more and about what that's going to look like in the future. And remember, it's not starting. It started, but we're in toe deep. We're not even at ankle deep. It's going to take months and years for this to start coming to fruition. But there will be more in the future of going and not just coming. Because we are in the 13 onward phase now. We're in the bar mitzvah, past the bar mitzvah. We're in the adolescent phase of the church. And like I said in that word earlier, just like we relied on certain things of our spiritual parents more in the childhood phase, now God expects us to take care of things more. There's a graduation. There's an increase. There's change that has come. A maturing has come since that mantle. And like I said last week, that mantle really was, it's more than this, but it, 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 a big part of that mantle is the apostolic office coming into full measure. Not that I'm walking in it fully, I'm in toe deep, but it technically starts. That's why Randy talked about it that year by the Spirit. Remember he said, I don't know why I'm talking about this. I didn't plan on talking about this because God himself had to have somebody other than me say it. And God had to have a prophet say it. And so the prophet said it in the year that it was coming, but it was, he was giving the prelude of what was coming. He didn't say that, but I know that now he was, it hadn't come yet. It was marked. And it was about to come, but he was talking about what was coming. And then on December 12th, that, that thing came. That thing came in fullness. It came. Now, I'm not walking in it in fullness, but it, it has come. In other words, the, we entered into that new room. Amen. That new room of that apostolic flow. And that apostolic flow, my brothers and sisters, is more than a pastoral flow. The first 12 years was more of a pastoral primary. Where I didn't, I went, but not, not the same as what's coming. Whatever you saw me go is not nothing compared to what's coming. Yeah. There's going to be a lot more of the eagle going Amen. than just staying. Yeah. Because the chicks are no longer so baby. Yeah, that's right. Now the chicks are a little bit older and it allows the eagle to go a little bit more. Amen. And you have to understand that's what God is saying. That's not what my, my ambition is saying. Like I said, I don't even really want to go in the natural. Yeah. You think traveling is so glorious and glamorous, but you don't know what it's like. You're standing in lines and you're dealing with difficult people and you're dealing with food that you're not comfortable with and ho- hotel beds, you think they're so great, they're not then nothing is like home. And my wife's cooking is only getting better, which makes going even harder. Do you understand? You're dealing with heat and bugs. You're dealing with difficult people. And even when I preach in these places that I know I'm supposed to preach in, Greg, even the little bit I've done in the past, they don't create an atmosphere like Promise of Life does. There's not the flow of worship anointing like there is here. There's just not because they've never been taught. Half the time they look at you like dead mummies. That they're wrapped up and they don't say a word. And I'm, come on, are you dead? What is wrong with you? Say amen. (sighs) Amen. And the pastor's as scared as the people because he's willy-dilly like they are. I mean, that's my experience in most international places that I've gone. So I would rather preach here than there any day. And I would rather be here for her cooking any day than any restaurant. And I'd rather be in my bed with my dog than some stray dog, you know, dear God. And they're all over and they want you, they want to follow you. And I'm too kind to animals, so sometimes I let them and I shouldn't. And then I have to get their fleas off me. 
And that's happened literally before. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is I would rather be in my bed than a hotel bed. I'd rather be in my new electric car by faith that's coming in Jesus' name. Elon Musk, if you're listening, you better hurry up now in Jesus' name. Now, uh, but I would rather, I would rather be in my car than in, in some airplane. I really would. But it's not, God didn't ask me what I want. He said, there's an anointing and there's a call on you to go to the Ashkelons and to the seashores. There I've assigned you. But it's not just going to staying, it's coming and going. You are here, the nest must be strong. So the nest will always be my priority from that perspective, but there's more going coming. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? There's more going on the way. It's coming. It's more. Look at this. Please put up the November 12th prophecy. I've already given it to you, but I want to repeat. You will minister. It's the first major word in the fast. On, on the 11th day of the fast, November 12th, you will minister in the power of my spirit, and I will take you around the world. Thus far it has been. And then he moved his finger like this around, around. There was a flat map, and he moved it like this. Thus far it has been. Then he said, but it shall be around the world. And then the map changed. The flat map moved. The map literally went like this and it turned itself into a globe. And his finger went like this around the globe. It was Jesus. He spoke to me. And he said, now that's coming. Now, I kind of had a sense that this might happen, but unless he says it, I don't know. And then, of course, I didn't tell my wife any of this because I didn't talk to anything until, until the 12th when it was over. So she didn't know God had said that to me. And then she gives this prophecy on the 2nd of December, which is the 31st day of the fast. Father, I thank you that this ministry will set forth from the shores of Canada and go into the earth. And such a great cry will come from this place for the places that said, notice the cry comes from Promise of Life, Taylor. For the people, praying for them, sending finances, sending me, sending teams. This place cried for those that sit in great darkness. They weren't, they weren't complaining I were going. They are, they are crying out for the going to happen. Father, for you have given them to us. Father, we are finding out the plan of attack to be laden down with great supply from heaven. Father, so that when we land, we will have the power of God for the people and the banner of God will fly high for this place. The promise of life, word and spirit banner. That's our message. And to the highways and into the byways, the riverways and the cities. Look at that, Jennifer. The Ashkelons and the seashore, we could say, yes, Lord, your presence will go before us and we shall prevail. You shall prevail through us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. So the, these are words that she doesn't know uh, what I God's speaking to me. She's just speaking that. And I'm sitting there like you watching live stream. My jaw drops down and I go immediately back, rewind, rewind to try to get that written out. And I'm saying, Lord, you're confirming this. Yeah. And now there's a little bit, maybe not of sadness. Maybe a sadness because I'm going to be away from her more. Oh. Not sadness because of you guys. Well, I do love you guys too. Some of you. <laughs> So I, there is some sadness there, but, but, but it's, it's mainly her and, and my kids because I, I, I miss them. But, and I'm not saying going for long, long, long periods of time, but there are goings and comings. So now have a look at Isaiah 43, please. And there he, I can't, don't have time to read you the whole thing because it would take too long. And, and, and remember, he said to me, don't share everything. He said, share the core of the vision. The rest of it may come, may not come out in time as tributaries and bunny trails within sermons, okay? But he said, share the core. And he said, make sure you're done before camp meeting. Amen. So that means I only have today and two more at the most. Yeah. At most. 
which I probably will take because I, I wasn't going to share one thing, but I think I will. I think it's core value. I think it's core enough for me to share, which I'll probably do on the sixth. I know what I'm sharing next Sunday. So we'll probably take the full nine, but he said, make sure you're done by cat meeting. So we know that there's an end in sight. Praise God. But I want you to see Isaiah 43 here. I, he, he went through the chapter with me and, and, and every verse he spoke to me, every verse he spoke to me and every verse there was something important, but, but not all of it is core. Some of it's very personal that he, I don't need to share with anybody, but some of it is for the body, but it's not core. So it doesn't need to be shared now. It could maybe be shared later. But I want you to focus with me on a couple parts that really are part of the core, especially about the apostolic office. Now have a look at verse 8 to 13. And uh, what I'm going to read, if it's okay, I know you might be in the King James, but the New Living shares it a lot easier than the King James, especially when we're dealing with this subject matter. It's a little harder to understand. So I'm just going to read you and then I'm going to explain because I don't have time it took a lot of time for me to study the original. I looked at multiple translations and I studied the original Hebrew plus listening to the Holy Ghost to form what God was really trying to tell me here. So I, just reading it doesn't really do justice, but let me read it and then I'm going to tell you what he said to me through it. And if you did the study that I did, you'll see that I'm biblically accurate, but you've got you to study it out to get what I got from it. And we don't have time to do that, but let me read it. Bring out the people whose eye, who have eyes that are blind, who have ears, who, are eye, who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. These are spiritually darkened people. They can see, but they can't see the light. They can hear, but they can't hear the gospel. Okay. Gather the nations together. Assemble the peoples of the world. You see this, Jenny? This is the nations. This is the southern rock in the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me and believe in me and understand that I, am, I alone am God and there is no other God. There has never been and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. First, I predicted your rescue, and then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand, and no one can undo what I have done. Now, th th now, that's the easier, King James is a lot harder to understand, right? And you get into the Hebrew words of everything, it's even more complicated. But I'm giving you the synopsis for sake of time. The Lord gave me these, these verses, 8 to 13, and, he said, and this, this is basically what they mean. Verse 8, I'm just going to give you my, my end result study out of these things. I'm not going to walk you through the journey. This is the end result. Number, verse 8, uh, these are nations of people that can see with natural eyes, but are blind with spiritual eyes. This is speaking of the heathen. Verse 9, these are people of all nations, not just Canadians. This is the nations of the world. Are you there? Praise God. Because remember, he told me on the 11th day, you're going to go around the world. So this came after that word. Verse 10, he said to me, he said, just like I said to Israel, you're my witness. He said to me, son, you're my witness. Me. He said, you're my witness, and I am to go and tell them that he is the only God, and there is no God before or after him. 
I want to read you verse 10 again because uh, it's powerful. You are my witnesses, Erezer says, Lord, you are my servant. You have been chosen to know me and believe in me and understand uh, that I alone am God and there never, there is no other God and there never has been and never will be. And so the Lord started saying, now he didn't explain it to me at the beginning, but he explained it to me more at the end, but I'm just adding it all so that it makes it easier for you to understand. I, I didn't know this until this all worked its way out in my heart. But the Lord said, I'm basically giving you your sermons. Part of your sermons for you to preach when you're international. And part of this is you tell them that you're a witness of my power. You tell them that there is no other God but me. And he said, now emphasize the fact that there's no other God but me because many of them worship demons. So emphasize I alone am the only God. And you are a witness of me. Okay. Now, 11, emphasize that I am their Savior. Preach the simple message of Jesus that I'll save them. Verse 12, this is a bit more complicated, but this is basically what it means. That he showed, as he showed Israel's future and then his power saved them, he said, so son, you will show them their future and I, my power will be upon you to save, to, to, to save them. He said, there'll be times where you stand, I'll give you visions, I'll give you words of wisdom and I'll show you what's going to happen in that country. I'll show you what's going to happen to that people group. I'll show you what's going to happen politically. I'll show you the future and I'll, I'll show them through you the future of their lives. And I'll, and I'll show them how they can be rescued from that future. He says, so this is an element of, of prediction and, and foretelling prophecy that's going to come on the mission field to show them what's about to happen if they don't turn to God. He's talking in the context of that God showed Israel their future and then rescued them. But he said, now you're going to, I'm going to show you things about countries when you go and you're going to talk like a prophet. You're going to talk to them. And it's going to help rescue them. And then this is very important. I, I read verse 12 here. It says, uh, I predicted your rescue, and then I saved you and proclaimed to the word. Now watch, in the, new, in, in, the, in the new living, it says, no foreign God has ever done this. But, but then in the other translations, it says, no strange God. Other translations says, no demon God. And the Lord said, now this is, I'm giving you scriptural, pre I'm giving you scriptural foundation. That when you tell them what's going to happen if they don't turn to me, you preach strong about demons. You preach strong about their, their, their ancestral worship. You preach strong about witchcraft. You tell them clearly that no demon has ever helped, not a bit, and that those demons will have to come out at the end of your service when you cast them out. In other words, he said this very important. You tell them the future, it's part A, and you tell them about demons, part B and be ready to cast them out. It's a very, uh, that's an apostolic, that's a bold, aggressive, that's, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I don't know how to explain to you because that doesn't operate here. Because I don't need it here. This is feeding the sheep. That is bulldozing shrines. This is difference. There's no shrines here, but there's shrines there. I'm talking about spiritually bulldozing them. So he said, this is going to, this is, there's going to be an emphasis on casting out demons, strange gods, and telling them by, by the word of knowledge, by the word of wisdom and prophecy and visions of what's about to happen in their country and in their lives if they don't turn to me. I'm telling you, that's heavy stuff there. That's heavy stuff. And verse 13, tell them that I am the almighty God that encompasses eternity and that nobody can reverse my will or my plan for salvation and that nobody can take them out of my hand if they will yield to me for they are safe with me as their savior. Amen. 
because he said there's going to be much persecution that comes against them for turning. So he said, now, let me read verse 13 again. Notice it says, from eternity to eternity, I am God. So he said, tell them about this is more than this world. This is eternal. And no one can snatch anyone out of my hand. And no one can undo what I've done. And he said, you're going to have to tell them because the great persecution that will come upon many, including martyrdom, that no matter what they face, when they turn away from these demon gods and they turn to me with all their heart, as verse 11 says, as their savior, that they are safe with me, that no matter what they face, I will protect them. Because this is about eternity we're talking. This is not about just this life. This is about eternal things. And they are safe with me for I'm telling you, he's, he laid it out to me. And he said, now, there's other things, of course, but he said, I want, you to, I want you to know that that kind of preaching, I already know because I've been in these countries before, when that kind of preaching comes, it's not a pastoral office. And that apostle is the only office that can step into the other offices momentarily and step out. So some of that will be an evangelistic office the evangelist's office. Others will be a prophet's office in terms of the seeing and the visions. But the whole thing is to establish churches and establish people and that establishing is the apostle's office. And I said, when he he showed this to me, he said, this is part of what you're going to preach. I said, well, Lord, I know what you're saying. Praise God. That's exactly like what David does. He goes into these places and he just rips up. He just rips. Remember I read you Jeremiah 1.10, uproot, destroy, build and plant. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that is part of this goal. This is part of the goal. We're not going to do sweet little things. We may do some sweet little things, but that's not what I'm going to do primarily. And there will be street evangelism, which I haven't done in years, but that that will be part of it because sometimes the churches won't won't, won't open up. But I'll stand there and cast out a devil. I guarantee you there's 100 people that gather you cast out a demon. Oh, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen. I've seen you, you, you get somebody healed that's, out of, that's lying down crippled and they stand up. A thousand people will gather in these, in these, in these populated places of the world because they're looking for power. They know demon power because they've got it all around them. See, we're not used to that. You were in Malaysia. You know what I'm talking about, Greg. Demon power was all around them. Witchcraft stuff was all around them. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's got the dot. Everybody's paying for stuff to keep the demons away. They're very aware of demonic power in these countries, which we do not live like that here. So there is an open door to talk about strange gods. But it's going to take an anointing because they'll they'll try to curse you. They'll try to curse you. I remember there in India, you know, those those guys, the Hindu Hindu men and the shamans and all them, because they kind of work all together. And they were all jumping up and down in frenzy and rage, cursing me while I'm preaching to the village there with with, uh, Aubrey. They'd never seen a white person. I was the first white person ever been to that village ever. And they were touching, the little children would touch me and touch my hair. They didn't know what white skin looked like. And I would preach to them and they would jump, literally, they would jump like this and they were almost frothing at the mouth, cursing me. And the anointing would come, I mean, that's that apostolic. I didn't know what it was. All I know is that it was different than when I would preach at Evangel at home. Something came over me and I would look at them and I would laugh at them. That's that Elijah thing to mock the prophets of Baal. And I would say, ha, ha, go ahead, try it. Your words can't hurt me. You're liars and thieves. You've kept these people in bondage. You can't heal them. I mean, it was that kind of an anointing, but it was God. It wasn't me. And then I'd have them stand up. They've never seen a white man. They certainly don't know what falling out in the spirit means. They were no catchers. And every one of them would fall, hit the, I mean, hit hard. Nobody got hurt. Bang, 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 bang. Instantaneously healed of malaria because it was a malaria outbreak. Yeah. And in one village, nobody fell and nobody got healed. I thought, Lord, have I sinned? 
He didn't answer me. I didn't know what happened. I left kind of feeling dejected. All the other villages, we saw miracles happen. This one, not one, not one thing. But then they wrote, Aubrey, the man who goes there on a, wrote, on a route, once a month he goes to each of these churches. He's a large territory. And he wrote to me in Canada. Remember? And he said, remember that village where nothing happened? He said, Pastor, I think it was seven days later or something like that. I think it was a week later. He said, at a certain time of the day, seven days, I think it was 2 p.m. in the afternoon, if I remember correctly, they were all out in the fields, and the entire village simultaneously God slain them in the spirit, the whole village, instantaneous. Every single person where the ladies cooking fell down. The men in the fields fell down. The people feeding the animals fell down. The whole village was slain at the same time and all of them instantly healed. It looked like nothing happened. That's a strange act. How do you explain that? But that anointing to talk to those witch doctors, I'm telling you, that's something different. That's a different office. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, go with me, please, to uh, verse 18. Let me read this from the King James Version, because now he's talking about the mantle. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, what he, what he started talking to me about this was, he said, when I got to this thing, this verse, he says, now I'm talking to you about the mantle. And he said, everything in the past, while it's been important and valuable and you should show honor for it and remember it and be gracious and grateful for it, he said, but the things of the past are gone. That's what he said to me. I've never said this publicly. I have, but never in this context of this verse. He said, when that mantle comes, it's a new beginning. Shall I not do a new thing? This is a new beginning for this church. The childhood years are over. The adolescent years have come. The responsibility grows and increases. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is, that's what he said to me. And then he reminded me of all the seasons of training. 17 years preparation from October 91 to October 2008. And then 12 years of the church, October 2008 to October 2020. Because the mantle came just after that. All those 29 years, he said, all of that is the previous season. Be grateful, and, and there's many things you'll glean from it and remember and even preach about, but he said, it's a new beginning. It's a new season. And then he said, I'm doing a new thing. And he said, that new thing is this mantle, that, that, that new thing of what I'm doing. And then notice it says, shall it not spring forth and you know it? This, Greg, is when he started talking to me on the day when he gave me this. Can I just tell you what day that was? Because I, I don't think I've mentioned what day. Not that it matters, really. You don't probably care one way or the other. But he said this to me on, on Monday, November 16th. I don't know what day of the fast that was. We started on the 2nd. So what is that? 2 to 16? What is that for? The 14th day or the 15th day or whatever? But he said this to me on Monday, November 16th. And... and you know, th this is the only time he gave me a whole passage of scripture and talked to me every single verse. That's the only time that happened in the fast. And he said, this is the main scripture I'm giving you in this fast. And, and so as, I, as he was explaining to me, let me go back to my notes from today. As he was explaining this to me, he, he said to me um, that this, shall you not know it? This springs forth. Shall you not know it? It was that day he started talking to me about when the mentor would come about that it was coming on the 12th, that it was a set time in heaven for it to come on the 12th. It couldn't come before. What time in the day it would come? Why it was that time in the day? I mean, I've, I've never shared, and I probably will never share, but such precision, yeah. such exactness with God gave me three scriptures as to why it had to be that day. Wow. Talk to me about why it had to be that number. I mean, very, very specific. I don't talk about it because people think I'm crazy. No, I shared it with the staff 
Some of them started to cry as I shared it with them because it's such a holy thing. And when you understand the specificity of God's timing is immaculate. But a lot of people, that, those are pearls and I don't cast them before. I don't put them out because anybody can be watching this. Then they can use it against me in the future and say, well, you think this and you think that. So some things I just can't share publicly. But I'm telling you, uh, he started talking to me on that day about when the mantle was coming because he said, this new thing springs forth. Shall you not know? In other words, I want you to know when it's going to spring forth. I want you to know when it's coming. Amen. You know it's coming on the fast, but you don't know when. So I'm going to tell you when. And that all started there. Praise God. Now have a look at this now, verse 19. You're not too tired, are you? Verse 19 now, please with me. Uh, Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Now watch this. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers, rivers in the desert. Now this is, he's talking about the mantle is the new thing coming. But now he specifies to me, this mantle will, be, will have two main components. It will make ways and paths. Yes. Wilderness is just jungle. But when you see a path through the jungle, you go, oh, there's civilization. There's order. Yeah. There's a divine order. Do you understand? And then rivers in the desert. You see a desert and then you see a river. Wow, look, uh, that, that, look at that. It's like life yeah. in death. There's a life. There's a line of life in the midst of death. Yeah. So he said the mantle... He's talking very broad terms, but he said the mantle over the years is going to bring a divine order and is going to bring life. It's not just life and then being disorganized. And it's not just being organized and knowing exactly what God wants, when God wants. I can know God wants me to go. That's the way. But if I don't have the river, I can go and not accomplish it. And I can know God wants me to go, which is the river, but not know when, not know how, not know where. And then, I, and then I'm fumbling around in the dark. And the river is not used to its fullest potential. Yeah, so he said, with this new anointing is going to come revelation of a way, an order, a divine path yeah. to know where and the order of things and life, yeah. power, yeah. like a line of water in a dry place. And you're going to need both the organization as well as the power. You've got to have both. You can't just have the power. You must have organization. You must know the divine order. But you can't just know the divine order and then be empty. You've got to have the life. You see, so that's what he meant when, when, when he, you see how specific he is. Uh, and every single, let's see how that was, two, two revelations in one verse, verse 19. Every single verse in this entire chapter, he showed me that stuff like that. Like every verse, there was revelation to it. He just said, not all of it is the core, so not all of it needs to be shared. But he said, now this is what the mantle is going to do. It's going to make a way, a divine order, and it's going to make a river. It's going to be life and power. Okay, now watch this now. I love this one. Verse 20, the beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness. And he said, stop. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you know, which I did. He said, you know, unclean animals. When it refers to beasts, and it doesn't name the beast, it refers to unclean. And dragons and owls are both unclean animals. Owls especially. Are un in fact, they're used in witchcraft a lot, owls. And, and dragons, we, we don't necessarily have dragons like you would think of a dragon. But it may, mainly means a, a sea snake or a jackal. Both of which are unclean animals. But the Lord said to me, this represents the sinners. The unclean. The heathens, because you're going to the heathens, not just internationally, but in the glory center, the heathens are coming. They're going to see the hope of glory and they're going to come. 
He said, this represents the heathens both internationally and domestically. The unclean animals are the sinners. And he said, now listen, this is powerful. He said, even the sinners are going to give me glory because they're going to see the mantle at work. And even though they're not even saved yet, they're going to recognize something is different. Now, many of them will get saved and then understand what it was all about. But he said, this mantle will so mark this ministry that even sinners will recognize it and give me praise for it. Look, it's already happened a little bit in Liberia. They put on the newspaper that this church helped the people. Those are sinners acknowledging what we're doing. That's just a little area, just natural food. But I'm talking about they're going to honor and recognize the anointing that does signs and wonders and raises the dead and that kind of stuff. Not just giving out food. You see that? Praise God. So that anointing is going to do miracles among the heathen because it says waters in the wilderness. What is a water? Notice it didn't say path in the wilderness. The previous verse says path. This says waters in the wilderness. Why? Because the water is life giving. It's not just enough to go to the, to the sinners and give them order and, 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 and organization. You've got to give them water. You've got to give them life. You've got to give them power. So this waters in the wilderness, it's like those sinners are out there in this wilderness place without any divine help of God. But they're going to see that mantle. It's going to bring life to them like a river, like a water in the wilderness, and they're going to give God glory for it. Glory to God. I love that. Hallelujah. And then look at the next part. And rivers in the desert. Now watch now. This is, it looks like it's the same, but it's not. If you studied in the Hebrew, they're separated f- f- phrases, even though there's only a, a, a comma separating them. Because I give waters in the wilderness. That's about the beasts and the dragons. Now the next statement is separated. In the Hebrew, it's separated. And rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Now it's talking about the local church. Now it's talking about Promise of Life Mississauga. Now it's talking about Promise of Life Delaware and and Punjabi and and Philippines eventually and all these other places, but mainly talking about Promise of Life Mississauga. And he says here, the mantle isn't just going to help the sinners and they're not just going to give me glory because they have life. But it's going to be a river in the desert to give drink to my own people. So where there are my own people and there are places of dryness in their life. That mantle is going to water things in this church. It's going to bring life to this church. Notice God's not just talking about over there. He's talking about right here. He's talking about the mantle is going to bring water and life to this church. My people whom I have chosen. That's meaning this church. Uh, now, Now verse 21 is all about, verse 20 part B is about promise of life. All, all promise of life, but specifically Mississauga. Now, verse 21 is specifically about Mississauga. This verse was written just for you. And in terms of, you know, our revelation of it, of course, it's not just written for us. It's written for the world. But this people, I knew he meant, he said, I'm talking about your church in Mississauga. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. And he said two things. He said, don't be discouraged, which he knows I do sometimes. He says, don't be discouraged because that word formed, it means to squeeze or mold into shape like a potter. He said, son, I know some of them look like they're totally in left field. They're whining and they're complaining and they're dishonorable. But he said, don't worry. He said, the people in your church, they're on my wheel. I'm roughing out. I'm smoothing out rough edges. My hand is fashioning them and molding them to something I can use. But if you notice, that thing is spinning. And if you ever watch them do it, it takes, they don't, they don't do it in 10 seconds. It takes time 
It takes time and they're moving and they add water. That's the word. They add water and they're shaping and molding this thing as it spins. He said, I'm doing that for your congregation. Don't be discouraged. Some of them don't look like a usable vessel, but when I'm done with them, they're going to be a usable vessel. Praise God. So he's talking to me personally about this church. I'm working on them. Now, the second part is, and they will show forth my praise. Now, I, I, I said this, I think, at some point in the past since the fast ended, but I want to explain it further. He said, your church will be known for praise and worship. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that fully means. God's been talking to my wife more recently about some of what that means, that we're going to have a school of music here and a school of worship where people actually come like a Bible school, but it's just for worship purposes and different things like that. So that's coming in the future. But he said to me on the fast, there's going to be something that this mantle brings with it, something for your church in the area of praise and worship, and it will show forth to others. And there'll be, there'll, be a, there'll be a knowing of that. Now, that would make sense because, because uh, with the glory, you always see praise. Because when, when Solomon, they sang, they sang in unity. Remember, the skilled musicians all in one accord, after they'd gotten all the offerings, they sang and the glory of God came in the singing. So he talked about the glory center, and we know the glory's coming, but scripturally, the glory is always connected to song. So it would make sense, wouldn't it, that he is saying here that, that there were, there's going to be something about praise and worship that's going to be very unique in our church because that is required for the glory. And not to be frustrated because I've got some people on the wheel. I've got all of us on the wheel. Now, if you've ever watched a potter, that potter will look, and if that thing don't work, have you ever seen it? I've seen it on shows. If that thing's not working and it's kind of like, like it's kind of, you know what that potter does? Bang! He smashes the whole thing. He says, you're no good. The way you keep going this way, you're going to be a ruined vessel. And he smashes it and he starts right from the beginning. Some of you, if you don't listen, God's going to just boop. Not to kill you, but but, you know, there might be some hardship because you won't yield. But then he'll start, let's see if you yield this time. Not, okay. You want want hardship? You want to buck against the pricks? Okay. Now, yield to me. I'm going to put my hands back on you. Now listen to the sermons. Listen to my spirit. Humble yourself. Walk in love. Stop talking about the pastor like that. Stop talking about each other like that. Tithe. Be honorable. No. Okay. Now you're struggling. You hear all the other people getting blessed, but not you. Now let me help you again. Sweetheart, I'm coming one more time. Shh, here we go. He's forming us. So if God smacked you down a little bit, God gave you a smackdown. Just know that he loves those whom he corrects. And he's trying to work with you if you'll just listen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Can I, I I know it's at 12 or 6 and I'm almost done, but I'm not going to share the name. Obviously, it would be inappropriate, but, and there's too many people in the church. You'll never guess who it is. And even if you try, it wouldn't be who you think. But, but, uh, because everybody's got an opinion about who's the rascals and who's not. And you'd never guess. But I just want to read you part of an email about the smackdown. Hi, Pastor. I just want to thank you so much for your Wednesday, March 24th service. That's when I talked the love, not this last Wednesday when you did it, but the Wednesday before when I was talking about the love walk and the protection of children. Uh, To say it was exactly what my family needed to hear is an understatement. We had already started to spend more time in God's presence, but there's been so much condemnation. Because I'm a person who likes to take action and organize The enemy has had a field day with statements like, you're not praying enough and you're not reading the word enough and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm cutting some of it out. Uh, 
uh, we had started to make some tweaks and we had started to see fruit. But I need to confess to you that my family, uh, I'm not going to say names, uh, became offended in the last few months with how, with matters related to COVID and, and, and how the church has handled COVID. And instead of dealing with that offense immediately, we let it fester. A few weeks ago, we both asked God for forgiveness about having offense and promised each other that we would not speak against the church or you again. During your sermon, you talked about the impact not walking in love can have on even our children. And then they shared some stuff about something happening negative with one of their children. And they said, uh, they said, I believe, we believe that our offense and not walking in love has opened the door to this. While we have repented to God weeks ago and we have taken care of it, we are writing this email on behalf of our family to ask for your forgiveness for our behavior and for becoming offended. We allowed ourselves to swim in the cesspool of the world's garbage. God put us in this church to support the vision and not to cause problems or tell our pastors how they should do their job. Yeah. Yeah. That's and we, they, there was an email of repentance. God's starting to bless, but offense yeah. creeps in. Yeah. And they, letting it fester causes that, see, it's, you're on the potter's will. Now all of a sudden the thing is going out like this. Yeah. And if it gets too far, God has to say, no, 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 no. You see, you open the door to the devil. Yeah. Now there's trouble. But you see, humility allows God yes. to do that. Yes. And now God, this is God doing this. Amen. I'm picking you back up again. Amen. No part, my power is with you to help Amen. you. And that door open, don't worry about it. My power is going to fix that. Amen. Because I'm not, you're not going to have to reap that reward for the rest of your life. My power, because of your humility, I exalt the humble. Yes. I know the proud are far off. You see, I'm, we're not talking about the people don't listen. They open a door. And God has to kind of take his, pardon the pun, but his hand off. You take his hand off and that thing starts going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then there has to be a, a, a lessening because yeah. the devil wants to diminish. Yes. But then God will never leave you alone. Yes. He will put his hands right back on you. Yes. And if you're humble, he can work with you. Yes. Now that family is going to prosper beyond their wildest dreams because of humility. Right. Not because I need them to repent to me, but it was really about God. But they did the right thing. That's the appropriate thing. Yes. A lot of people in this generation don't have any clue what social graces are. But that's, that's important that you handle things right, that you apologize when necessary, not because I need it, but because God looks for that behavior. But now, see, that is humility. That is right-heartedness. That is saying, God, I yield. And now what does God do? He fashions. Praise God. So be willing to be humble because it's the only way to increase. So anyway, he says here uh, that this, there's going to be specifically uh, this thing of praise. And then to end it off, I, again, I, I'm not sharing everything. I'm only sharing parts. But I'm going to read this next part from the Amplified Classic. And I'm only going to read two, two little quick uh, verses because there was a lot more. But I'm not going to say it because it's not the core. But have a look at me now if you look at verse 22. So remember verse 21, this people have I formed for myself that they may show forth my praise. And then, so that whole thing about the mantle, that section ended, and the church having been affected by the mantle, the sinners being affected by the mantle, the praise and worship being affected by the mantle, the forming of the congregation being affected by the mantle, that was over. Now, now he's talking about something different. This is a warning, and I'm not reading it all, but I'm just going to give you the gist of it. Verse 22, yet you have not called upon me, much less toiled for me, O Jacob, but you 
but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep and goats for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not required you to serve with an offering or entreated you as a slave by demanding tribute or wearying you with an offering of incense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satiated me with the fat of your sacrifices, but what you have done is burdened me with your sins and you have wearied me with your iniquities. And the Lord said, stop reading. And I stopped and he spoke to me. He said, when, you, when I tell you to preach this, which is today, I didn't know then it would be today. But he said, this is back December, November 16th. Now it's today, all these months later. He said, when you preach this, I want you to tell them four things from this. And there was more, but I'm just compressing it. He said, number one, he said, uh, tell them uh, not to get weary. Notice it says, you're coming, you become weary with me, O Israel. He said, warn the people in the season of the mantle, which is our future. Don't get weary. Don't get weary with the vision. Don't get weary with the expansion of the vision. Don't get weary with correction. Don't get weary with the instructions that God is giving because the people got weary. Stir yourself up. It's up to you whether you get weary. It's not the devil, it's you. He'll try to exasperate the weariness if you let him, but you have a choice. Number two, he said, tell them, watch their giving. Did you notice there? He says, now he's not, you got to understand the context of the. This, this Isaiah prophet is telling the people, you haven't tithed. Yeah. Now, God is not saying that, but he, he's not saying for me to tell the people you haven't tithed. What he's saying is he took this scripture and he said, there was a warning from Isaiah to the nation that they hadn't tithed. And he said, your people are tithing for the most part. He said, but give them a warning not to stop their financial honor. That's right. Amen. Don't get weary, number one because it said it there, don't stop your financial tithing and giving and your honor. Don't stop it. These are things that are going to affect the mantle. Number three, live clean and right. Because he says, you've wearied, I haven't wearied you with the burden of extra offerings, but you've wearied me with your sin. So in other words, the Lord said, there's a warning there about righteousness. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, and, and basically, it's those three instructions. And then the fourth, it's like one plus one plus one equals three. So one is don't be weary. Two is be careful that you don't stop the honor of the financial covenant. Three is live clean and right. Yes. And that equals, if you do that, the mantle will work for you fully. And if you don't do those things, the mantle will wane. Amen. He said those things will affect the flow. They will. They'll affect the new thing that I'm springing forth. Amen. Don't do these things because they will hinder that flow. Amen. But if you guard these things, specifically rightly, these are very broad spectrum statements, Greg. These are very general, very simple, very kindergarten-ish. But just do right financially, do right when it comes to sin, and don't get tired. If you'll do that, the mantle will work fully. And if you don't do that, it will cause the mantle to wane. Now, if I do it, the mantle will wane over the entire ministry. But if you do it, the mantle won't wane over the whole ministry. It will wane over you. God's not going to let me suffer because you do the wrong thing. Do you understand? But if too many people do the wrong thing, then the mantle starts floundering. But when one person does it, the mantle on them flounders, but the rest of us are strong. If you keep doing it, you'll be separated from the mantle. God will bring somebody else as a child of the mantle, and then they'll be strong. But the point is, we're not going to suffer because a couple people make mistakes. But it's important that the whole congregation on average is not making mistakes. Not to be perfect, but to be righteous. One, don't be tired. Two, make sure you honor God financially. Don't quit that. And three, make sure you honor God 
with your righteous living. Make sure that sin is, in other words, it's consecration, it's holiness. It's keeping stuff that's dirty out. It's keeping the lust of money, which is the mammon of the world, the God of this world, in the right place. And it's energy and fervent running, not, eh, I'm so tired, I'm so weary, why is he talking about this again? Uh, no, it's I'm running and I'm clean and God has my money. You make sure God has your money, he'll make sure you have plenty of money for all your Mickey Mouse needs. Praise God, hallelujah. So as I close, and it's 12.15, but I'm closing. As I read all this, there's more, but as I read all this chapter, and it took me a number of days to comprehend it all, to, to marinate in it, to study it out, to pray it out, to wait on God for it didn't happen overnight. But as, as I'm seeing the bigger picture of what God is saying here, he started to show me something. He said, I'm going to talk to you about the apostolic balance. That's the way he phrased it. The apostolic balance. He said, because there is a balance between the apostle's office and the pastor's office, and you need to understand it. And he said, so you're going to tell the people, I didn't know it would be today, but he said, when I tell you to tell them, this is what you're going to tell them. He, he said, I want you to tell them, number one, that the mantle on promise of life is not just for Mississauga, it's for the world. It is. And I think I've proven that to you from those verses. Yes. Number, so basically, this is for the nations. Number two, I want you to tell them that an anointing came upon your wife to abide during the fast that that mantle has also come upon her for a different function and a different role than she's had in the past. And you could see that in the way she ministers is of a higher level and of a different flow. Now, there's still a teacher in there, and you'll still see that, but there is a different anointing and a different level. And that came about halfway through the fast and onward. And the Lord said to me, he said, an anointing has come on your wife to abide. She is becoming more skillful in the preaching and teaching as well as the pastoring of the church and the administration with the staff. Together as a team, her and the staff with this new anointing will be able to take care of business when you're gone. Wow. Notice how good he is. He's not going to let the nest become weak Amen. and frayed. So he puts something more on my wife, not just spiritually to preach and teach, but also for counseling for leadership with the staff, for administration, putting a team around her because that anointing is increased on the staff as well. Yes. And now as a team, they are able to handle when I, the eagle has to go. Yes. When I have to fly and go to preach Isaiah 43, 8 to 13. Yes. When I go to preach that. When I go to establish works. New works as well as works we've already established that I'm going to strengthen. Remember Paul went to start works and then he went with John Mark and then John Mark disqualified and he went with Silas to strengthen the works, Acts 15, that he had already started. So it's not just going to start, it's going to build and strengthen. And when I go to do that more in the years to come, God has made sure the nest is tight the weave is tight. There's no frayed. The anointing has come on her to abide, to help preach and teach more, to help the staff step up more, to help her leadership more, so that nothing is lacking here. And I'm not coming back to a mess. I come back to something stronger than when I left it. And that's God's plan. So number one, tell them the mantle is for promise of life and the world. Tell them the mantle is on Jenny to pastor more. Praise God. And of course, which I've already said, so I won't repeat it because I've kind of already said this as I've gone, but that the mantle is on you after the 12-year foundation was over. 
Now the, now the bar mitzvah, the, the 13 adolescent more responsible years when the mantle came, we had just started that 13th yeah. year. Now that that has happened, this season, uh, we couldn't fully have completed that season of foundation laying. 12 is the number of foundation. We couldn't have fully completed that without the mantle because the mantle sealed it. But that we couldn't move into the new season, Greg, without the mantle, because the mantle is the jet engines that thrust us forward. So really, it's a demarcation line. It completes the old, and it starts the new. This is a very important thing in in the history of our church. And and so what the Lord was getting over to me, very simply, was that this adolescent season with this mantle is requiring me to not have such a grip on every minor detail of the church day to day, but to release and trust, and delegate, and say, Jenny, you do more. Lorraine, you do more. Errol, you do more. Taylor, you do more. Staff, you do more. And hiring new staff so that it can flourish under their abilities and not me micromanage. So I can go and come and be strong when I leave and stronger when I return. Because we are now in a new season. The old is gone and the new has come and the apostolic call has come with this new season and the requirement to go on the rock Sina has now come more fully than it was before. The previous season was primarily Bozes, but the new season is now including Sina and the glory that comes with Bozes. Do you see, can you see that? Praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God. And lastly, I'll I'll end with this because he said four things. He said the mantle the, the summary of this whole thing that I want to share with you, the mantle that he shared with me from Isaiah 43, the mantle is for the promise of life and the world. Your wife has been raised up and the staff and new staff are being raised up to help so that you can go to the world and not have a loss when you come home. For the assignment number three, that mantle is for the adolescent years and that apostle thing has come with that mantle and it is now time to focus not just on Bozes but also Sina. And of course, verse 8 to 13 is all about that. And then lastly, he said, and I I wasn't going to share this, but I will, uh, because I believe it's part of it so you can pray. He said, there will be things that you teach and preach when you go. Now, the sub-part of the sermon he gave me, 8 to 13. But he said, there'll be subjects, because you're there for more than one service usually. So you might do some of that, you know, peppered throughout. But he said, there's going to be three primary things that your assignment to teach overseas is. And I really appreciate that because Pastor Nancy would tell us, you know, when you're a pastor, you have to do everything. Well-balanced, good diet. But when you're, when you're on an assignment, God doesn't let you just do everything. And with her, remember Taylor, he said to her, stop feeding like you fed as a pastor. Feed on healing because your call is to bring healing. So don't feed on all the subject material and don't teach all the subject material you taught as a pastor. You need to now specify because like an MD, like a, like a general practitioner, a GP, uh, just does a bit of everything, but now a specialist focuses, right? A, a pastor is a, is a GP, but the other offices, all the other offices are focused offices. Do you understand? Even the apostle, which in some ways is very broad, can be very focused. And so the Lord said, uh, as a pastor, you teach whatever I tell you week by week. But he said, when you're on the road, now this is important so you can pray. He said, when you're on the road, there are three primary things you're going to preach. In addition to this apostolic, verse 8 to 13, you know, God's going to show you your future and there'll be some of that happening. He's your savior. He's eternal. You know, there's demon gods and they're liars. But if you'll come to him, he'll save you. He'll protect you. Even with persecution, all of that is very general. But he said beyond that, 
He said, there are three subjects that I'm going to have you focus on, not exclusively, but they will take up the majority of the time. He said, number one, I want you to teach the people about authority. Because most people don't understand authority the way Kenneth Hagin and Dr. Sumrall taught us. And authority and faith go together. Because he said to the centurion, talking about authority, you've got the greatest faith. So he said, authority slash faith, he said, I want you to teach, but primarily authority. Faith goes with it. Number two, he said, I want you to teach them about the blood. He said, you have an assignment to teach the blood. And number three, he said, I want you to teach and execute the doctrine of casting out demons. He said, because where you go, they are infested. And he said to me, focus primarily on Dad Hagen about authority and faith and focus on Dr. Sumrall primarily about casting out devils. Although Dad Hagen teaches a lot about that, but he said there's an impartation from Dr. Summerall. You know, Dr. Summerall and Dad Hagen didn't agree on everything. They did on 99.9. But for example, some of the gifts of the Spirit, they had discrepancies about. And Dr. Summerall believed one thing and Dad Hagen believed something different, and it, but not nothing. And so he would have Dr. Summerall come to the Bible school to Rhema all the time. And, but then people would say, well, Dad, they don't, he doesn't teach it exactly the way you do. And then some of the staff were saying, maybe you shouldn't have Dr. Summerall back because we don't want, you know, about the gifts. Like, you know, we don't want to have any kind of a whatever. And da- da- Dad Hagen said something very important. He said, I would rather him come and tweak a little bit here or there after he goes. Because without him coming, the impartation of the spirit of faith and dominion will not come into the students. He was so wise that he recognized it's not about the minuscule intricacies of every little tiny doctrine. It's about there's something on him in the apostolic office and he walks in a dominion and authority that very few human beings have ever walked. And when he comes, just being in the same room as him, almost regardless of what he preaches, something comes out of him and into the students. And he said that our our kids, our students need that. So I'll tweak whatever I have to tweak if there's a discrepancy, but I need his office here. I need his impartation here. Romans 1.11, I long to see that I may impart to you. So the Lord said, for me, when it comes to doctrine, go with that Hagen. When it comes to the impartation for casting out demons specifically, he said, I want you to focus on Dr. Sumrall because he had an impartation for that. And so I said, well, what do I do? He said, order everything he has. So I went through his, his list online and there's much, much stuff. But uh, and the Lord said, uh, 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 the Lord said, get that one, get that one. About 90% of everything he's ever produced, I've ordered during the fast. It arrived while I was on the fast. And I've got all of his stuff, CDs, DVDs, and books, all that the Lord led me because it all has something. Everything I got had something to do with demons. And I've got about 48 items that has something to do with, because he had such a revelation of demons. So a lot of it peppered everything he said. You understand what I'm saying? And he said, I want you to focus on that. I want there to become an impartation because you're going to need that when you go to this, these, these, uh, these infested zones where there's demons infestation. He said, you teach on the blood, you cast out devils and teach on that, and you teach on authority and faith. He said, those are your three primary mandates for the mission field. He said, anything else, I'll tell you specifically. He said, but other than that, and other than this, Jeremiah, this Isaiah 43, 8 to 13, other than that, and those three things, he said, you don't have much else to say unless I tell you. He said, I want you talking about this and talking about that. You know, leave it go, well, you need to learn about this. Like, it's good to teach people about tithing, but unless he tells me to, I'm not talking about tithing. 
I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about these things because that's my mandate. So he's not only told me to go, Jenny. He's told you to step up, but he's actually told me what to say. To, within measure. I mean, there's always, there's always fresh and there's always being led by the Spirit on the spur of the moment. But he's told me even what the mandate is of what my job is over there. And I said, but Lord, I'm, I don't really see my, I don't know, it's in authority. Praise God, I cast out devils, but I don't know, the blood that I don't really, I, I love that. I mean, okay, but are, are you sure about that? Because that kind of surprised me a little bit. And he said, do you remember I spoke to you? I said, you did not. He said, I spoke to you through Edwin Anderson. And he did, and I, I kind of had forgotten that temporarily. But in January of 2020, so this is now, what, uh, 10 months earlier, yeah. when I taught on that thing about the blood, Edwin, as I was walking out to go to the dinner, Edwin pulled me aside and, and told the usher to open the green room because there's a lock on the door. And he pulled me inside that green room privately. And he pointed his finger at me and he said, I'm speaking to you, I'm prophesying to you by the Holy Ghost. And I just, I put my hands up because Edwin doesn't do that very often. And he said, there is an assignment on your life to teach on the blood. He said, take it very seriously. He said, and God will take you places to teach because there's not enough teaching on the blood. And then as I was studying Sumrall during the fast, I noticed that every time Sumrall cast out a devil, he always talked about the blood first, which I didn't know, Greg. He always talked about the blood before he cast out a devil. And that's why he had so much success because they can't stand against the blood. So God was even teaching me on the fast, this combination between Dad Hagen's teaching on faith and authority and Sumrall's teaching on, on, on the blood and casting out devils and then my own revelation on the blood that I've been teaching and Edwin's prophecy to confirm all that thing. I'm not making this up. There is an assignment on us to FMI go. Yes. To Pierce. Yes. And your support for that outside your tithes and offerings for the nest, but your support to help the ego go is going to help that message get out. And people need to hear that message, Jenny. They need to hear it. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord is so good. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're raising up a congregation to run with this vision, to run with the vision for Bozes and the Glory Center, to run with the vision of Sina and the world. Lord, you're raising us up. You're talking clearly. You're talking, you're talking repeatedly. You're showing me things over and over again through different scriptures, different parallels, but you're saying the same thing. You've spoken in the fast. You're speaking since the fast. Lord, you're revealing even during this seven, eight, nine weeks of vision casting, you've revealed more to me. You showed me more this morning about what 2021 was about. Lord, you are speaking clearly. Our job is to say, yes, sir. Our job is to run with your instruction. Lord, I thank you that I'm not leaving them, but as I go and come and go and come at times, it will grow more in the future than it is in this season. They won't notice much change this year, maybe not even next year that much, but in the years to come, it will increase. Where that anointing to go and then to return, but the nest will be strong. So I thank you, Father, that you're raising up Pastor Jenny to fill big shoes and you're helping her, that anointing has come on her to abide to do it. You're raising up our staff. Oh my God. You're raising up our staff to assist with this. And without their support, we cannot do it. You're raising up our leaders. You're raising up this congregation for every man and every woman and every child has a part. They're all a puzzle piece. They must come into their right fit in order for the, for the picture to be complete. And Lord, we can't do it without the congregation or the leaders or the staff or me and my wife. So I thank you that we all find our fit 
in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I speak forth because I heard you say it twice now to me, and I won't, I won't, I, I won't, I won't disobey you. I say forth in the name of Jesus, the right staff members, the right ones to assist with the vision. I say, come forth in Jesus' name. I say, be revealed in Jesus' name. I say, your heart turn. Your heart embrace the call for the staff. And come forth in Jesus' name. And do not be denied your destiny in the mighty name of Jesus. I say that for I say that because there's certain people listening that God has called to be staff in this in this church. And the heart must reach out and take it. And God will bring them forth. Over the years, He'll bring them forth in Jesus' name. See, something happens in you when I prophesy that. I know it, but I don't want to say it. But I, when I say it, something in the spirit realm goes out. And now the anointing can work on those hearts that have to turn to embrace it. Amen. Praise God. I don't do nobody a favor by hiring them. And if I ever feel like I'm doing somebody a favor to hire them, they'll be fired the same day they get hired. Amen. They have to want it. Amen. It has to be the honor of their life. They have to say, I embrace it with all my heart. Thank you, the great, the gratefulness. Without that, they, they won't survive. And that applies to our staff. I'm not saying because we don't have any problems on our staff. I'm not saying that as a correction to any of our staff. But my staff, listen to me, because God, God will not let any kind of being hindrance, any drag on this anointing to run. And staff can be the greatest drag sometimes because they're the closest to me. Do you understand? And I'm aware of them more. So there has to be a great appreciation where God placed you and then embracing it with your heart and all of your being and the privilege of saying, Lord, thank you. I get a part in this thing, maybe more even than the other congregations because I'm right in the core of it. So staff, you pay attention because I'm speaking by the Spirit. Some of you need to make some little tweaks in your heart about that. And new staff that are coming have to prepare their hearts to receive that call. Because it's not easy being staff in an apostolic church. There's a lot demanded of you. But they, they, they will rise to it and they already are rising to it. Congregation, it's not that easy in, from that perspective being a part of an apostolic church. There's more required of you than the little church down the street. But if you're called to be here and if you're a child of the mantle and if I'm your pastor and spiritual father, the anointing is on you to do it. So don't, you won't be satisfied anywhere else. You'll feel a void if you leave. Just plug in and run and you'll see all oh, the joys that will come and the rewards waiting for you in heaven will be immense. I love you. God bless you.